If you're an impact investor and believe in the power of patient capital to change lives, build communities, and create a more inclusive economy, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the best podcast, short for Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive, where we share the impact of patient capital when combined with the grit, resilience, and determination of Black entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, founder and CEO of Ironbound Boxing and Ironbound Media, both based in Newark, New Jersey, where I have a passion for all things social impact, economic development, and community empowerment. On this episode of The Best Podcast, I sit down with Keisha Wright Daniel, owner and director of Care For Me Children's Learning Center, a private learning center offering a quality educational program for children from ages six weeks to 13 years old. Keisha's been running her business for over 17 years and is responsible for the care of some of our most vulnerable youth, given their age and the challenges of maintaining a classroom in the midst of a global pandemic. On the show, Keisha shares how resilience and the responsibility of serving her youth and staff have kept her going through the pandemic despite the uncertainty in the early days. By leveraging a hybrid model of in-person and remote learning, funding support from the state and PPP loan, as well as her own creativity, Keisha and her team have stayed in the fight the entire time. Before you hear from Keisha and I, make sure you subscribe to the best newsletter at the link in the show notes. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. And we greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories of Black entrepreneurs. We appreciate you for tuning in with us today and hope you enjoy the following episode. Keisha, welcome to the best podcast. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm honored to be here. How does it feel to be podcasting on a Friday afternoon? Everything feels great on a Friday. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm good. I moved to a quiet space where I won't be interrupted. So I'm ready to chat with you for an hour. Do me a favor and go ahead and uh, take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay. Uh, my name is Keisha Wright Daniel, uh, born and raised in East Orange, New Jersey. I am now a resident of Camden County, which, which is a little bit further south. I am the owner and director of Care For Me Children's Learning Center, which is in Pensacola, New Jersey. Uh, this November, I will be celebrating my 17th anniversary as an entrepreneur. I'm very excited by that and very humbled by that. Uh, my industry, in my industry, I take care of the most vulnerable citizens in the state of New Jersey, and those are our children. And so it is a labor of love for me. Uh, it is my life's work, uh, something that I really look forward to doing every day and has brought me a lot of joy and fulfillment and allowed me to be uh, very present for my own children. What's your background? What led you into this kind of work? Uh, my background, well, I went to college at Virginia State University, it's an HBCU in Petersburg, Virginia. And actually, my major was not in uh, education. My major was actually in political science with a minor in mass communications. And after, um, you know, doing some different jobs, um, sports marketing and working in pharmaceutical sales, after graduating, I realized that my heart was still uh, with children. My very first job was as a summer camp counselor at the age of 13 uh, at a, a church on Main Street in Orange, New Jersey. And um, my, I realized, you know, after 
20 plus years that my heart really was with children. And so in 2004, I became the owner director of Care For Me Children's Learning Center. What was the process like for you to, to, to get that off the ground? Did you have to raise money? What was, uh, how did you bring the vision um, to life? Hmm. It was God. I mean, it really was. I had just finished reading um, <clears throat> The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, wasn't happy in pharmaceutical sales and was just looking to to do something that um, made me feel like I was giving back to my community and making a difference. And my oldest, who is now 19 years old, was uh, one of the children at the child care center, which was formerly called Epic Learning Center. And uh, went to chat with the, the former director and she had expressed interest in selling the, the school at the time. And so I expressed interest in purchasing it. And uh, at the very last, um, at the day that uh, I had a deadline where I had to secure my loan, I had reached out to three different banks, was denied by every single one of them, and met a man named Jonathan Jacobs, uh, who helped me bring my dream to life. He helped push the loan through, and I was um, got the phone call that my loan was approved on the deadline, and moved in November 22nd, 2004, and have been running the center ever since. But it was a I struggle have, getting the financing. Oh, <laughs> I, I have to ask you, you know, what was it about Jonathan that was different than all the other ones that you went to? First of all, he looked like me. Uh, so I think that made him work a little bit harder for me. Uh, and he told me from day one, we're going to get you this loan. He told me everything that I needed to do. He educated me on things to say and not to say, um, even how to present myself, because this was my first time going in front of a bank as a potential entrepreneur. And so he really held my hand through the entire process. And um, I always say, if it wasn't for God first and Jonathan Jacobs, I would not be sitting you know where i am right now or my vision may have been delayed <laughs> yeah you know it's so important to have people that on the other side of the table you know who can speak for us and vouch yes. for us and really push this stuff through and um it's great hearing that story because you know one of the things we're, we're doing with this platform is really making the case for um patient capital in order to have patient capital we need to understand what right looks like and what wrong looks like mm -hmm. and it sounds like jonathan jacobs was very patient with you he was very patient with me, very patient. And he encouraged me and he just told me not to give up, that it was definitely going to happen. And he was right. He was right. So one of the things I have to ask you about is, you know, the last 16 months have been very challenging. And with you dealing with the most vulnerable, which are children. And yeah. we know there's been a whole situation about in the classroom, out the classroom, virtual learning. To be honest, it's really just been a mess across the board. But when yeah. you think about resilience, right, what does resilience mean to you when you look back at your journey the last 16 months? Resilience to me means that, you know, when you get knocked down, because you will, and I have been knocked down several times that I can't stay down. You know, I have to cry it out. Um, I have to scream it out, have to pray it out, but I have to get back up and I have to keep moving forward. Um, there's, there's no giving up. I don't have the luxury of giving up. Uh, and so resiliency to me means just to keep going, to keep going and, and let it roll off your back. Whatever is thrown at you, let it roll off your back. But you keep moving forward and you keep um, you keep that positive 
talk, that positive language, those positive thoughts, you have to let those types of things drive you. Um, I can't give up. I have babies uh, who rely on me every single day to show up. I have teachers who rely on me every single day to show up and to be positive and encouraging for them. And I have two daughters who rely on me every single day to show up. So I don't have the, the luxury of not being resilient. How were you able to make it through the last 16 months? Take us back to stuff shut down. All of a sudden, school, classrooms are closed. And I could imagine that, that hit your revenue pretty hard. It did. It did. Well, the first thing I did, I have a great team of women uh, that I work with. Uh, some of them have been with me from day one. And my first conversation was with them because at the end of the day, it wasn't about numbers for me. Um, it was about lives. And so, you know, we were hit with a with a pandemic that was killing, you know, hundreds of people every single day. So uh, my first conversation was with them. I asked them, did they want to stay open? We had the option to keep our doors open to serve only the children of essential employees. And they all wanted to continue to work. So all of my teachers, with the exception of two, continued to work. And so my enrollment went from 43 to right around 20 children because they were the only ones who were deemed um, children of essential employees. And so my revenue did drop at first. But because I am a, a child care center that serves 98% uh, of my children receive the child care subsidy. And so with the child care subsidy, are you familiar with that? I am not. Okay. So what the child care subsidy is, parents who um, fall below a certain income level qualify for tuition assistance through the uh, state of New Jersey. And it's called the Child Care Development Block Grant, which is actually a federal grant. Um, but so the majority of my children do receive those subsidies. And because of that, the state of New Jersey paid uh, extra, gave extra money in those children's payments to help us be able to, um, well, to help me be able to meet the financial requirements that were coming down the pike. For instance, we had to increase our level of um, sanitation, sanitizing. So we had to buy Lysol, which was being sold for like $20 a can, um, extra gloves, extra mask, extra sanitizing, increased uh, carpet cleaning, uh, building sanitation. All of my costs went up. And so those that extra funding did help me to keep my doors open. And I was able to give my teachers um, some more money. You know, I called it a COVID increase for working through the pandemic. Uh, but it's it's still a struggle. Uh, because with this, with the current um, legislation in New Jersey, with the way that we're, we're being uh, paid and the way that the vouchers are paid out, uh, we're still operating at razor thin budgets, uh, my center included. So it's still a struggle. I have to be very creative, uh, but I, I've, I've been able to be successful. How long does it take you to get paid? What's the cycle like? Is it uh, 30? Two weeks. Every two, two weeks. weeks? Yeah, our payments are two weeks behind. Yeah. And what age groups do you work with? Uh, birth, six weeks up to age 13. That's such a vulnerable population. It is. That is it a is. really vulnerable population. Very and I'm vulnerable. Feeling, I feel for you with all the COVID stuff and especially everyone was, you know, there was so much, I don't know, misinformation going on. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and you were kind of like right in the middle of that, particularly around the children and the babies. Yeah. Well, at first, day daycare centers weren't getting any information. We were receiving no information and it took for um, a couple of directors to start a Facebook thread to say, hey, you know, you're, you're telling everybody schools to shut down. You're, you're telling, you know, every other industry to shut down and stay safe. But there's no direction, no instructions for child care centers. So it was a couple of weeks before we heard anything. We heard anything. We were basically left to make our own decisions, which, you know, wasn't right because we're caring for children. Uh, so we finally um, we were told that we could shut down or we could apply to stay open as an emergency child care center. And so you were able to stay open pretty much the whole time then? I stayed open the entire time, the entire time. I did have to close uh, four times because we did have children and uh, a teacher um, contract COVID. So we did have to shut down and quarantine for two weeks. How was, your how was your mental health during this time? Because I know as like a black entrepreneur, we know black small businesses got hit extremely hard. And like mm -hmm. you said, all that Lysol, all that cleaning stuff, that doesn't just come out of anywhere. That comes out of very thin yeah. budgets. And so yeah. when you see all the chaos going around and you see all the other uh, black entrepreneurs struggling, how did that affect you? Uh, I paid attention, um, you know, to what was going on around me, made adjustments to um, where, where I needed to make adjustments because I saw child care centers having to close. A lot of them were, have not been able to reopen. Uh, but I, I, I've always been optimistic. I've remained optimistic that, you know, God would see us through this. I have a great team of women who showed up to work every single day. So it wasn't just me alone. Uh, without them, I probably would be shut down right now. But it was a team effort. And so um, I never for once thought that I, I would not make it through. Sounds like you built a great culture because that's yeah. one thing, you know, I teach I teach marketing and branding. And part of branding is, you know, making sure you have those core values and those core purposes. Mm -hmm. And it's all nice and dandy when things are going great. But when mm -hmm. times get hard and you're like, hey, who wants to show up? You know, it sounds yeah. like your team showed up. They did. They really did show up. Every last one of those women. And they're still with me. All of them are still with me. Did you have to manage any kind of remote learning? I did. I had uh, 11 children who were doing remote learning. And um, at one point they were in a, a small room. So I had to rent space across the street from my current location uh, so that they could spread out a little bit more. But I had remote learners for 18 months. They actually just left me last week to start school. What was the process like for the kids dealing with remote learning? Uh, their mental health was definitely affected. Uh, they were dealing with not being in a classroom setting, not being around their friends. Um, although they, they do have a small group here, a lot of them have been together since birth, but it wasn't what they were used to on a daily basis. They had to deal with the internet going in and out and being frustrated. Uh, some kids don't have the support system at home. And so sometimes their work fell behind if they were absent for, you know, three days out of every week um, and work wasn't being done at home. So a lot of, a, a lot of the children, um, were really stressing out a lot. My my own daughter included. Uh, I made the decision to send her back to school in March because I noticed that her mental um, health was was suffering. She was crying and getting frustrated over over minor things that I thought were minor, 
but to her, they were huge problems. And so I did notice that with a lot of the kids, they, they started to lose their love of learning. So I'm excited that they're back in school. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. I'm an autodidact, so I'm a self-taught learner. I podcast, I read books, I do video courses. But I will say that, like, there's something it it takes a lot of discipline for me to sit down and do a video course. It's very hard for me to stay focused on mm -hmm. Zoom mm -hmm. content. So I can only imagine the kind of frustration yeah. with the kids and kind of dealing with it. Now, yeah. one of the things that the pandemic has also shown us is that there is a silver lining for a lot of businesses out there. They've been able to do things differently or implement new business models that they might have not otherwise done had it not been for the pandemic to kind of force this innovation. Talk to us about some of the silver lining you've been able to find within your own business and how you're going to capitalize on it to move forward with your company. Uh, one silver lining is being able to keep the, the space that we that I rented for my remote learners and purchase the space so that they have a place to come back to every summer, um, every school break. They now have their own space where they can come back to and gather together and read together and play chess together. I have a group of young men who love playing chess and some of the girls too. Um, and just to relax, a safe space that they can go to and just be themselves um, and, 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 you know, and fellowship together. And so because of uh, the pandemic, I'm now able to um, change my business model a little bit where I can now offer more to my six to 13 year olds. And those are my school age kids. Another thing that the pandemic made me realize is um, that my my teachers and myself, we need more more time at home in the evenings with our families. So our hours were reduced by one hour. We now close at five o'clock instead of six o'clock. And I have seen a change in my teachers. Um, that one hour makes a difference when you are a mom and you have to go home, leave work at six o'clock and you still have to go home and you have to prepare dinner and you have to do homework and get ready for the next day, myself included. Uh, that hour makes a huge difference. And so we reduced our hours just to make it more, um, have more of a balance for our teachers and have a reduced day for our children. We would have some children who come to school at 630 and they don't leave until five o'clock. I mean, they wouldn't leave until six o'clock. That's too long of a too much time for a child to be in childcare. And so it's more of a balance for the children as well. Do you feel like you're thriving now as a small business owner? I do. I do. I really do feel like I'm thriving. Um, I'm able to, um, you know, just wrap my arms around my business more. Um, I'm able to, I now understand the importance of making sure that I know the state of my flocks and know my numbers. Um, so that has helped me to thrive more. And I feel like I'm happier now as a business owner. I was really stressed out leading up to the pandemic and questioning whether or not I wanted to continue to be an owner. Uh, but now I feel like I have my, my, uh, I got my groove back. You know, I'm ready to retire being an owner and a director of a childcare center. You're ready to retire? No, no, what like I'll do oh. this until I oh, I wish that would be nice, but no, like I can see myself retiring in this field. Yeah, that's the difference I think between like the small business and you know some of the more high growth startups is that you know for small business I think one of the goals that we got to get to is how do we enjoy our work each and every day, mm -hmm. you know, um, because it's not as glamorous as a lot of people think. You know, behind the scenes, there's stacks of papers. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, you gotta buy you gotta buy stuff, you gotta clean stuff. 
right? Mm -hmm. And you know, when I think about somebody like you that's done it for 17 years, you've really been in the trenches. Oh, you've yeah. Been working with a very, very challenging population. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you for still um, finding that silver lining with everything that's going on and yeah. actually enjoying the work you're doing and creating an impact because it's needed, uh, especially you. with regards to all the talk that's going on with education. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And especially in early childhood education, um, there's a lot that is expected of teachers, uh, anyone working in this field, but the pay um, is not equal to the expectations. And so I've been doing a lot of advocacy work um, with Advocates for Children of New Jersey and just trying to get the message out there and, um, you know, let them know the importance of compensation, you know, proper compensation, respectable compensation for the early childhood workforce. Um, and it's going to take some it's going to take some work, uh, but it's very important. We are on the uh, front line. I tell my teachers every day we are on the front line of everything that these children will do for the rest of their lives. So every interaction that we have with these children every single day will determine whether or not they will be successful or, or, or possibly fail. Um, in everything they do once they leave us at six years of age to go to kindergarten or five years of age, 13 years of age, every interaction is so important. And so that's why we do a lot of training. I have four teachers who um, are starting CDA classes this month. And what a CDA is, it's a child development associate certification. And if you have that certification, that means that you are a highly qualified early childhood educator. So I have four teachers who are starting that journey this September, and I'm very proud of them. Excuse me, I'm getting a frog in my throat. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, yeah. one of the things I want to do is I want to shift gears here is I know that the state increased their funding to you all. Because yes. they were to help alleviate some of the heartache, you know, during the pandemic. Was there any other funding sources or grants or you know, uh, PPP loan that was essential for you as well? Yes, there was the PPP loan. And uh, although the state did increase their funding, it's still not enough because what we were getting prior to the pandemic, I'm amazed that um, there are any child care centers operating right now, those who receive state funding. And so although it did help, uh, we, they still have a long way to go um, to, you know, just to make sure that that funding equals quality. Um, I got the PPP loan and it was forgiven. I was nervous about that at first, but it was forgiven. And then I did receive a grant um, from the state of New Jersey to help with, um, you know, getting those extra supplies that are needed to continue to help with payroll. Everything that um, that I need to, you know, to keep my doors open, I did receive a grant for that. I think it was called the EIDL. Yeah, I think so. That sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, I did receive that. So one of our goals with this show is to reach out to lenders, impact investors, many of them are, who are listening now. And I would love you to talk about, as a black small business owner, how crucial it is for us to have access to that kind of patient capital in the form of low interest loans, grants. And you're a 17-year business owner. You know, if anyone should be able to get access to that kind of capital, it should be you. So I would love you to speak to our audience about like why that's so crucial for black small business owners. Uh, it's crucial for black small business owners because it, it helps us to first start start our businesses, our initial businesses, um, businesses in our communities. Um, it's also important for us to maintain our businesses, um, to expand 
uh, if we want to grow, you know, that capital is important for growth. I'll share a story with you. Um, the, the building that I told you I've rented, I did a lease to own. So I've been trying to get funding. And I went through my bank, the bank that I've been with for over 20 years, and was turned down. They told me no. Paid, I already paid off two business loans with them. They told me no. I ended up getting the funding through my credit union. But to me, that was a slap in the face. First of all, I'm a 17-year, been an entrepreneur for 17 years, six, paid off two loans early. Um, the business that I am in is a business that is it makes a huge impact in the community. And I was turned down still. And so that, that I, I still today, I don't understand why that decision was made. But it's really important for these big banks and these lenders <clears throat> to not just look at you as a number, to really learn your story, learn your background. What contribution can you possibly make? What contributions have you made before they they give you a definitive answer? And I just feel like um, I wasn't I, I was turned down before they even gave my portfolio a, a good look. They, they never even gave me a chance. I was turned down within two weeks. That's definitely a slap in the face. That's you know, a slap in the face. Off, you've already begged off two loans. There's all this talk in the media about we want to support black owned businesses and, you know, black lives matter. But when it comes to entrepreneurs like yourself that have been yeah. in the trenches, proven yeah. track record of a success, strong mm -hmm. portfolio, mm -hmm. I can't think of anything that's less risky. Yeah. And this is a bank where, you know, they they Black Lives Matter and they have, you know, African-Americans all in their advertisement and we support small business and we support black business. And, you know, when it was time for them to show and prove, they couldn't. They didn't show up. They didn't show up. And so um, I'm working on, you know, switching my moving my money out of that bank now. But it's very important for for, um, you know, for these lenders to realize the importance and the impact that African-American uh, business owners make to the, their communities and to the, the this country's economy and to really get on board and, and, you know, back us, not just with words, not just with billboards and advertisements, but with funds, with funds. Yeah, that's a great point. And so it sounds like, you know, when we go back to, is John Jacobs? Jonathan Jacobs, yes. Jonathan Jacobs did a lot of things right. He did. And he bet it on you and he took he a risk. Mm -hmm. And these other institutions, does it seem like the other one wasn't doing it the right way? Not at all. Not so, at all. As we wrap up our interview today, what I would love you to do is to our lenders and impact investors that are listening, I would love you to leave them with some closing remarks. And then also let us know how we can support you and what you need uh, from the community. Okay. So to your lenders, I would say, um, you have a brilliant um, budding entrepreneurs, existing entrepreneurs in your communities who have business models, who have ideas, who have a passion and the knowledge to, uh, to grow successful businesses that contribute to, to this economy. Give us a chance, give us a chance. Don't just look at our names on the application, you know, and have a, a inform your opinion. Give us a chance. Get to know us as people. Get to know our business models. Get get to know what our dreams and desires are. 
and and help us, you know, build those build, build those businesses and and fulfill those dreams. Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, it it only helps it helps all of us. It's a win-win situation for everyone. And so I really think that um it's time for, you know, these banks to really show up for their customers and 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 back us. We shouldn't have to jump through hoops and have, you know, doors slammed slammed in our faces every time we go to apply for a loan just because they don't they think that we're risky, you know? Give us a chance. Give us a chance. I'll tell you, I'm such honored to be able I'm so honored to be able to host these kind of podcasts because I get to meet entrepreneurs like you. And we're not the kind of entrepreneurs you see on the cover of the magazines and the fast company, mm -mm. you know, childhood, early childhood education centers aren't the, excuse my language, sexiest thing in the world yeah. in the sense of, you know, what people think of in this entrepreneurial ecosystem, but you're there. It's an essential service clearly, and you've got a proven track record of success. And so it's just honor to come across you. And I'm glad we have media like this to share and highlight your stories. How can our listeners support you? Where can we find you? What do you need from us? Oh, uh, well, you can find me at uh, careformeclc.org. That is my website located in Pensacola, New Jersey. And what I need is um, for our listeners to, to become advocates. You know, speak on behalf of the child care centers. Email your congressmen. Um, e email your local state representatives and, and let them know the um, important role that early childhood centers play in your lives. You know, you can't go to work if you don't have a safe place to take your child. And, you know, the majority of the child care centers that are owned in New Jersey, the majority of them are owned by women. So, you know, let your bank know the importance of funding small, you know, businesses, women owned businesses, black owned businesses, because without child care, the infrastructure will crumble. If we close our doors, everyone else has to close theirs. And so I would just say continue to be a voice for early childhood education. Join Advocates for the Children of New Jersey. That's a nonprofit um, that you can join as a parent. And if you are looking for a safe place for your child to grow and thrive, reach out to Care For Me Children's Learning Center. Well, Keisha, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. And I'll be, I'll be sure to include a link to your website uh, in the show notes and any other material that you'd like to share with our audience. And for our listeners, do me a favor and subscribe to the best podcast on Substack, our newsletter for the series at the link in the show notes. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories. To learn more about the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development at Rutgers Business School, please visit www.business.rutgers.edu slash cued. That's C-U-E-E-D. I'll be sure to also include a link for that in the show notes. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.